0: This week on Educational Triage Podcast, we delve deeply into bias in assessment and grading. So hold on to your hats and let's go. This is the Educational Triage Podcast. Welcome. We invite you to come along with us on an exploration of interviews, issues, and other exciting and relevant topics in education especially alternative education. They say alternative education is a laboratory for mainstream education. Why? Well, join us every week and listen in as Philip Summers and I, Tony Hunt, jump in feet first to discuss issues that may affect our classes, students, communities, as well as our teaching. Please subscribe if you enjoy and find relevance in what you experience here. And if you haven't left a quick review, please do. We appreciate your candor and insights so we can improve as we move forward. Now, let's see what's on board today. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Educational Triage Podcast. This is Tony Hunt, and I am here, of course, with my faithful, faithful partner, Mr. Philip Summers. Hello, Hello, Phil. How are
1: you doing? I'm doing good. How about you? (laughs) I am
0: Well, thank you.
1: I'm feeling... I'm a little crusty, like, uh, weather-wise, but I'll survive it. You've been sick. I have been, and I haven't even been working around kids, so I don't know what that's about. Because they had a lot of days where there wasn't school weather-wise. Right. Of course, I may have just picked it up just before the fun happened. It could be. kind of stewed it a little bit. Did you go into the... And I got sick. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Did you actually go into stores or anything like that?
1: Nah. Generally speaking, I stayed away from people. I didn't go out very much, and some of it was just complete iced over. Couldn't go anywhere. Stuff. So, yeah, oh. that happens.
0: Indeed, it does. Hey, <laughs> this week we're going to look at bias. Yeah, we are in assessment and grading, and um, I. I remember, I was thinking about this earlier today, and I remembered many, 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 many years ago, long before I knew you, I was in a, I guess it was kind of like a departmental party
1: mm-hmm. in,
0: in for the high school that I was working in. And one of the teachers said, I don't judge people. I don't judge I take everything and everybody as they come to me and I said well that's not an honest statement. And they were very angry with me and because they took great umbrage and they said excuse me and I said no you judge everybody. We all judge. Mm-hmm. We may not judge negatively or we try not to judge negatively. But we do automatically judge because we do an assessment on every mm-hmm. single person, on everything, on every situation that we see. And we formulate mm-hmm. an opinion based on the appearances or, or the impressions that are made on us.
1: Mm-hmm. And, yeah,
0: yeah. and they were furious with me. And they said, no, hmm. I don't. And how dare you? And I said, well, and they said, you're just, and I said, ah, you just judged me.
1: You are a. Uh,
0: so uh. Well, let me, the,
1: let me put this that way too. There's a difference between that kind of judgment and prejudgment, whereas mm-hmm. prejudice, prejudge. Uh, right. If you see somebody that's uh, over six foot two, th- sure. let's say they're very demonstrative, silver so six foot five, these are tall people, and you have an association of certain things with people who are tall, you will see that tall person and you will instantly. Uh, assign those attributes to them. You know, uh, the, my favorite is anybody who's tall always gets asked, Do you play basketball? <laughs> it's so true. Ask anybody you know who's kind of an athletic looking over like six, four, six, five. True. That question always comes up Do you play basketball? Mm-hmm. That's prejudice, prejudging based upon the initial uh, appearance and then sorting that person into that group and then approaching them rather than approaching a person as a person and then judging them perhaps that's different but we shouldn't judge anyway because who the heck do what do we know about that, that but we uh, do yeah. it
0: we already we do, do, do it. it yeah i mean we, sometimes it's, we do it's it to the built <laughs> it's built into our neural networks
1: mm-hmm. it, it it is in a lot of ways for our survival we must define the other
0: <laughs> well, you need to be able to define whether or not somebody is a f- an enemy or an ally. Or if, or a f-
1: or an enemy. Yeah, that's true. Yeah.
0: You know, you need to be able to figure out, and and, so you, it doesn't mean that you're pigeonholing them. I mm-hmm. was reading some studies the other day, and what they said was that people who tend to uh, pigeonhole other people. mm mm-hmm. And so they look at them and they say, well, that person is this and that person is that. And so they put them into these categories and they mm-hmm, keep yeah. them there. They were, they're still stuck at the thinking level of an 8 to 10-year-old, which really kind that of makes blew sense. my mind. That because makes sense, they're not yeah. able to think any more critically. And so those are the ones mm-hmm. I think that um, are the worst judges. In yeah.
1: And and it's 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 important to note that they're not really eight-year-olds, they're just adults who choose to use the tools and
0: means of an eight-year-old. Right. Because the critical <laughs> the critical values, the critical thinking that yeah. needs to happen just isn't there. And so yeah. instead of she, saying even, that person yeah. has very progressive ideals or very conservative ideals they don't see beyond that to the point where Mm -hmm. philip you seem to be like a real far-right person but i love your cooking (laughs) so there are good things about you I, but I'm not – and I just threw that out there because different people no, no. do make these assumptions about other people, about well, that's what their political example. values are and thereby whether or not they're worth speaking to. And right.
1: and It it puts a big conundrum in their head because assuming they like food, which most people do, me being a good cook's a good attribute, but Mm -hmm. the other attribute's not such a good one. So, well, you're a bad thing, but you do this good, and that's a good thing. It's like, what? And
0: so they become conflicted in many ways rather than saying, you know what, Philip, there are aspects about you that I really respect and that I really love. And then there's other ones that, well, let's not venture into that territory.
1: Right. And you don't have to. I mean, uh, you don't have to. It's not like you have to draw the line. If you agree with me, then you're one of mine.
0: <laughs> right. And I'm not saying that Philip is, a, is, is on the far right. I'm not saying that he's a progressive. And, and it, could, doesn't really it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter where he is. Could it doesn't. Yeah. But that was, just, that was just for an example.
1: It was a good example too, because they were really strangely like linked like thank you, I think for that compliment, yeah oh, I don't know welcome. what being one would directly relate to the
0: other, but thank you, <laughs> well, the thing is is that in education, I do know people that do pigeonhole a lot of a lot of their colleagues, yeah. And they actually do it with students oh, as well. And it comes yeah. from both the progressive end and from the right end. I mean... It does. It, it it's really right does. across the spectrum. And they look at them. And I worked with somebody yeah. who said, well, this person is this, so they must believe this. And if that person didn't,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: then that just blew their yeah. mind. And so they became very, very wary of that person, and that person right. wasn't the right kind of person for them to you talk know, about.
1: There's a certain example that I can think of. It's it's a strange example. There was a mm-hmm. film out uh, ages ago. It was called Get on the Bus by Spike Lee. It was about a group of men from incredibly varied backgrounds going to the Million Man March in Washington, D.C., and the march was never shown just this trip and one guy was a gay black republican (laughs) and this other guy just couldn't wrap his head around it he just (laughs) what it it just to him it did not he couldn't how can you be republican gay and black and the guy you know he did not defend himself but spoke his truth you know and he went well I'll be damned, you know. (laughs) But that's the kind of thing that would screw some pigeonholes up big time, you know. Oh, completely. You would think that to be typical.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and they don't like to have that sort of. It's not a prism; it's more of a jar that they, you know, it's like a jar that they put the people in because that way they can collect them.
1: Yeah, but they don't like that crack in the jar. Right. They were all together as black men going to the million man march first and foremost. But then Mm -hmm. when they started speaking with each other, you know, it's like all these Spike Lee had a way of doing that. You know, nobody gets out of his films without appearing human. There is no (laughs) uber clean hero. Everybody's got something on somebody else. And that's America today. Yeah. It, oh. speaking of which we were talking about that, it creeps into our testing like nobody's business too.
0: Oh, completely. And so yeah. what I wanted to look at was um let's take a look at the different kinds of bias that there may be. Yeah. And so um in specific comes to testing, yeah. I went digging and I came up with some different forms. So cultural bias yeah. would be the first one. And uh, and this would be in the assessment, mm. and cultural references or language that wouldn't be familiar to certain groups of students, and so right. it would disadvantage right. those people. So, There's a famous
1: example of that: the old SAT one, where uh, "runner" is to "marathon," and then they're given the choices and what the correct answer is Oarsman is to regatta. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's, it's always a famous example And it's So true. It's like, what, <laughs> what? Who's into rowing? You know, that's definitely a cultural thing.
0: Mm-hmm. And then we have socioeconomic bias.
1: Mm-hmm. Kind of the same thing. And
0: <laughs> that would mean that there's the assumption of a certain level of background knowledge or resources uh, that students from lower dis- lower socioeconomic backgrounds may not have about those who mm-hmm. have more money or uh-huh. even those who do have money and may not know anything about those from a lower socioeconomic background, but just mm-hmm. the differences. So, for example, and some of you may know and some of you may not know, but if I said... um. W- if if you don't take care of this, I may have to call your mom and she may speak to you with her chanclas. Mm-hmm. Now that would be a <laughs> cultural kind of thing. Yeah, it would be. But it could also be a socioeconomic kind of.
1: It, yeah, the one about the oarsman and the regatta is right. definitely it would be the
0: but, same kind of thing.
1: Yeah. There's not a lot of rowing. In the urban cities, there's mm-hmm. just not that much going on. And certainly not horses either, not a lot of stables in certain neighborhoods. That's true. Yeah, um, that's a very acquired taste. It takes a lot of money to have a horse in a stable, yeah.
0: So let's take a look at language bias or the linguistic yeah. bias. Yeah. So all right, uh, do the students have a familiarity with the language that they are about to be assessed in? and nerd. um what have you made any kind of uh have you made any kind of adjustments or adaptations for those students who may and we'll get into that there's yeah, a gender but, bias same thing yeah. um stereotype
1: results on that too
0: oh yeah
1: the and stereotype
0: bias. bias and we were just yeah. talking about that earlier Yeah. Yeah.
1: Stereotypical. You Um, have to group people, man. You just got to group them. (laughs) I guess. I don't get that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we have an implicit bias, which are unconscious biases held by educators that can influence their judgment in assessing the work. And so are you grading more leniently or more harshly based on your personal biases without realizing it? So, for example— Yeah, go ahead. Philip, you get under my skin, and so I'm taking a look at your paper, and boy, am I going to rip you a new one with this. I'm going to look at your work even harder. So
1: Yeah, there's a a big unconscious to it, too, and it happens in milliseconds with your introduction to that person. And so then it sort of cracks you on a path. You Mm go, boom, I'm this way. I think about these people that way. And it's millisecond, first millisecond mm-hmm. too. It's not just a relationship thing, but yeah, it's not good. Implicit bias is very subconscious.
0: Right. And then we have test-taking bias. <laughs> well, yeah. Which is having a test that's heavily reliant on one specific form of testing. So, for More example... Content, yeah. If you have multiple choice, if it's essay, or different learning styles, what's going to best incorporate so that you can push it all out, all around, true, false, what have you?
1: Some people are just good at that stuff. I mean, it's a skill. Oh, yeah. Yeah, true, false, multiple guess, yeah. And even writing a good essay. I mean... (laughs) Short answer. It's hard. Yeah.
0: Yes. Well, Autumn, who has joined us, by the way, if you hear that sound, I apologize. I did.
1: Oh, that's okay. <laughs> she's our masking.
0: Um, yeah. Well, she's decided that she needs to be a part of the conversation, I guess. Um hmm. access bias. Yeah. So Are you assuming that everybody has the same access to the resources necessary for the testing and for the materials that allow them to take the test? So do you have, so if I'm going to test you on something, or let's say that we're going to test a group of students, do all of Mm -hmm. them have access to the materials that were necessary for them to explore?
1: Internet, for example. Yeah. Did they have the internet or up to and including personal tutoring mm-hmm. on how to take the darn satin ACTs? Right. Oh, oh, and let us not forget the great scandal in Hollywood and wherever else where everyone was bribing <laughs> school officials to let other people take their SATs and stuff. It. Well, there. there I mean, now that's an access thing that is completely unheard of i mean i'm so glad people stood up and went okay that's deplorable and it's illegal and we won't tolerate it because it's just over the top i mean ah the classes are bad enough i've known kids who had to take those sat prep courses and they're like they hated it but they did it because mommy and daddy wanted them to go to a good university and which reminds us, you know, there are other ways of um assessing for admissions into universities and they're becoming more prominent, but yeah. And the, is being, the yeah. SAT, SAT is being the being sued right now for being biased. Really? Yeah, yeah. I was reading in Forbes there's a Isn't that you. a
0: discussion it, that's been happening over the past two, three decades?
1: Yeah, it's been it's been discussed a lot. And there's a but there's a lawsuit now, an active lawsuit um yeah. wow i I was just it sucks, yeah, it's crazy uh lawsuits against a c t are biased you know there's claims against them as recently as say hey, let's talk this it's like uh yeah, it's a current current article, so wow,
0: yeah well interesting we
1: are there we man. are there we are. Russia, Bruce, man.
0: And see, for me, we didn't have SAT prep classes back in my day. Yeah. And I know you're going to say, yeah, because we just had the – we had to carve letters into our tabulas of wax. Pretty much.
1: Yeah, my fountain pen ran out of ink. My quill (laughs) ran out of ink so often. (laughs) Well, think about it, though. We did not have computers, kids. It's true. Tony and I and many others our age, coincidentally, I guess, did not have computers. They did not exist.
0: Calculators, personal calculators were just coming no. out. Yeah, and they were like
1: 150 bucks, and they did four functions, add, subtract, multiply, and divide. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And they so everybody used their wow. slide rules.
1: Oh, uh, and I never did learn how to use a slide rule. But apparently uh, the astronauts, when they went to the moon, were using them constantly for calculation. So
0: believe it can't be done. I was given some from a professor at the local university, and I shared them with some of the students who loved them. And they st- they became quite proficient with them. And they thought right. they were just awesome. because and they had a little case. Could- because they could just it was it was a novelty, but it was also really incredible just watching them explore and learn from them. And they uh, went much uh, further than I was ever able to. So um, also, let's talk about construct bias. Yes. Hey, yeah. And so is the assessment truly measuring the set clear objectives? That are put out there.
1: Ah, absolutely. I mean, is it, is the content on the test applicable to the content you were taught?
0: Right. We all know and, that, when that hateful, that terrible feeling. You know? Do they align with the curriculum or do they favor different kinds of backgrounds? So that, yes, yeah. many of these are going to bleed into other ones that we've already talked about. Yeah. So um let's look at content bias. And that would be whether or not things are culturally insensitive or unfair. Um the method bias. So and that was that's another term for the construct bias or the what was the one where the type of test that that it was so for the test bias and then we have the item bias so are there items in there that are going to be unfair or ambiguous so i remember the best example i have of this was a psychology class that i took and it was multiple choice And all four choices on all the questions were so close. And so Mm -hmm. there was one word in there that would be the pivot word. And you had to get the exact right item. And so it was very, very tricky. What
1: was it testing for?
0: To see whether or not you'd, well, supposedly to see whether or not you, you read and understood the material, but yeah. but you had to memorize what these key concepts were without ever really knowing what the key concepts that were going to be tested were.
1: Right. And the language itself was the trickier part.
0: Exactly. It wasn't
1: giving you direct informational well, direct, yeah, a direct line to information. It was, you know, oh, yeah, this one might have a little turn in it you might not want to take. So it becomes a puzzle, a linguistics mm-hmm. puzzle. Right. And here's another thing. If you're dyslexic mm-hmm. and you have disabilities with language, mm-hmm. it it doesn't matter, you know, how well the test is presented. It's just not an appropriate assessment
0: Right. if it's written.
1: Yeah, because that language itself is your barrier. Mm-hmm. So,
0: and then we have the biggie, bias due to subjectivity. And an example of this, which would be a teacher unconsciously assigning lower grades to students with messy handwriting who overlook the actual content of their work or perhaps don't have a good view of that student and they will judge whatever they said much more harshly. Hmm. So I think, so
1: there's a bunch of reasons for that. Explain. Say that you're a nativist. You don't like people who aren't American in America. So some of your students are obviously Russian or, you know, from you know Hispanic. It's, so you've just assigned that automatically. You, you mm-hmm. just you're you're an anti-immigration person and you're caught in a situation where, you know, you educate every student that comes through whether or not they're, you know, have credentials or not to be there. But so if you start judging people that way. You know, it's just your political views creep in there, which is not good. And it does happen rarely. And it usually happens subconsciously with a person who's just an angry person to begin with. You know, there's kind of nasty people anyway, and they're not real open-minded and friendly. And then if you get in their way as a teacher, you've got the authority to say, yeah, I have the grades. I have the book. I have the power. And you people That you people thing.
0: (laughs) You know? You people. (laughs) I don't know that it it sits with just one political viewpoint
1: on that. Oh, that's an example. Yeah, only. Yeah, but... Oh, well, you
0: could go the other way. Yeah. Because I know people who, um, you know, I know people who are on the right who may tend to be a lot more lenient towards newcomers let's say yeah and people on the left who go after them because they are not expressing the views that they would endorse
1: well no. well and so it, yeah if you're gonna it, put it, it in a right and left frame
0: yeah that's that's yeah. pretty much i i find that the whole thing is just a it's it's a miasma. I mean you get it you get it anywhere you look.
1: Oh you do. And and as far as political views go, I mean, you know, being right or left, it's it, it, there's just ways of overdoing it both ways. If you're on the left, for example, every kid who isn't white needs extra attention and help. You know, that's who you're really there for is the those white kids. Martyr. And and yeah, and you're actually overlooking the mm-hmm. other kids in the class just because they don't happen to have You know, they're white or they appear white, Mm -hmm. you know, for all, you know, it's like, what are you talking about? I'm black. My parents are black. I just, just, I'm just light skinned. What? Oh, well, now I feel sorry for you. (laughs) It's it's just don't do that either. It's like, well, oh, I've seen you poor thing you and the person look back and go, who are you calling a poor thing?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I had, I had a kid. And one of my co-workers came up to me and they said, oh, my God, did you know that they're black? And I said, (laughs) yeah, I've I've done a lot of work with their parents. I know their family really well. Well, you should have told me. And I said, why? What difference would it have made?
1: Uh, I would have been easy. It would have been easier to sort. It would have been easier to put that person in the box. I wanted Mm -hmm. to put them in. Now I don't know what to do with them. They defy the barriers.
0: (laughs) It's true. It screws up people. Sorry. (laughs) Okay. So let's take a look at what conventional wisdom states would be the least biased forms of assessment now that we've talked Mm -hmm. about this. And so you're going to find some real inconsistencies here. Mm -hmm. Objective tests. With multiple choice, true, false, fill in the blank.
1: Knowledge-based tests. Memorization kinds of tests. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
0: And not necessarily what I would consider good forms of testing. Sure, you might... Okay, They're if we're not. doing chemistry, then there's certain items that you need to have. I mean, science—you do need to have the vocabulary. You need to know the, the structure. That is
1: true. And mathematics as well. There's language to math.
0: Right. Now, if you're going into something else, if you're going into history, where you, you know, if you, if you know the year 1066, if you know 1215. Um, If you know 1776, if you know 1812, 1862, 63 to 65.
1: That's assuming that you think in that linear way, like you can assign mm-hmm. events to a, a timeline that's sort of you know, linear in your mind. Right. And some people, they can't form that line. It's like, what? Right. It did, to me, it forms... A nice little chronology, but to them, it just is a bunch of numbers, really.
0: It is. It is. And it has no impact on them because the relevancy just isn't there.
1: Yeah. If the relevancy is not there, they don't hear the story. Exactly. You know, another thing, too, mathematics is very tricky. There are ways to phrase equations that are equal to others exactly the same way. And they're they're not phrased the same way, and it can screw students
0: up big time. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you brought up math. And so what I discovered with math and in assessments with math, yeah, what we ended up doing, because the worst, the, the two most evil, three most evil things in math for students mm. are fractions, percentages, and story problems. Oh
1: yeah, the latter being the worst.
0: So, um, I used to teach at a business school at night, and um, I started doing it with my students uh, during the day as well. When we did fractions, and so I would get pies or pizzas, and that's how we would start learning about fractions. And so once once awesome. they were able to, excuse the pun, digest what yeah. we were doing. it made it easier and so that way they could you know it was the tactile it was you know actually seeing something and putting it all together yeah Um, it had
1: to be there's a lot of visual to it mm -hmm. and when math is and when it's taught there's not a lot of explanation the writing isn't very good So it's tends to bog down in the story of the problem. You know, you just can't think about what it is that's happening because the wording is not precise enough.
0: Well, here's what happens. Here's, here's, here's what we did. We broke down story problems and I told the kids, I said, okay, read, read the story problem. And I want you to write out what is the question what are they right. asking and they said well they want to know and they repeat the whole thing and it's like no what is it that they are looking for for example john yeah. gave mary 7 apples mary sold 3 how many apples does she have left and so i said okay what is the what is what are they asking you to do and then they could say Oh, how many apples does Mary have left after she sold three, but she had seven first? Right. And it's like, okay, fine. Now, yeah. other people may have put that in a different, they may write that out differently. Same thing. You've got the information. Right. That's what we're looking for. Throw everything else out.
1: Yeah. They're very good, by the way. That does. Very good lesson. Yeah. You need to break it.
0: Right. You just (laughs) need to rephrase that. And then tell me what is the problem? Mm -hmm. The problem is seven minus three equals four. Now, let's make that into a little bit more complicated a problem. And let's say that there's some algebra involved or something. And so there's a process. I need to see the process, but what I want you to do is I want you to write down every step what it is that you are doing and illustrate it. And that's not just using the mathematical terms, like 2 plus 2 equals 4, because that's mathematical language. I want you to explain it to me and use pictures. So once they start doing that and they say, but this is so much work, and it's like, the reason why I do this is because— it's 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 because I need to make sure that you understand what the problem is saying. And secondly, I want to make sure that you're able to visualize what it is that you're doing. And so my students became very used to doing that. I didn't give them Good. huge lumps of work to do.
1: And you didn't throw in extraneous information.
0: No. And so they did all of this. And so when they hit and they had to do the state assessment in mathematics, they said, what are we supposed to do? And I said, what have I been teaching you all along? Extrapolate the information, take it, put it out there, and explain it and draw pictures with it. Mm. And that way you're demonstrating that you understand it. Because a lot of the kids, once they had to draw a picture, they suddenly started realizing that their processing wasn't correct. And then they'd have to go back and they'd have to redraw or do something and they would. that's where they caught. And so it's double-checking their work. And they all score, they all, every one of my students scored at the top on their state mathematics. Now, I was told, no, they need to be doing it the way that the book says. And I said, wait a second. We're we're working with these students and we're using different formats for them to do it. They're scoring very high. And now you want me to take that format away from them. That's effective for them. And we have to do it the same way that everybody else is doing it. And they said, yeah. And I said, why?
1: Yeah. Why?
0: So none of that made any sense to me. So we didn't. Okay.
1: Well, that's the problem.
0: Well, yeah, that's one of them. And so yeah. because they wanted them to be assessed at the same rate as everybody else and they felt that they had an unfair advantage because they were they being knew taught the material differently. Better. Well they were they were understanding and they were looking at the material differently.
1: Yeah, and that's the way it's supposed to be done. We talked about in the assessments, project-based mm-hmm. learning. Right, you know, <gasps> That's the stuff that proves what you know, the way you know it, and you can't fit yourself in another box, especially when it comes to mathematics. That was the death of me because I didn't even understand the context by which I was using it. It's like, I mean, geometry was invented by Newton. I found that out a few years ago. It's like, I've been learning all my life and no one came up with that one. uh, Geometry is about physics. Uh Oh, effing, duh. I never knew. I just but, it was another branch of fun math. But yeah. think
0: about math as requiring formative assessments as you go yeah. because you need to be able to form the question. Right. You need to be able to form the process by which you're going to solve the question. And then the summative assessment is you get the answer. But mm-hmm. then it's also reviewing the steps and the process that you took in order to get there.
1: Right. It was strummed to my mind. Nothing mattered but the answer. Anything in between was irrelevant. The answer was foremost.
0: Right. And so and geometry. Yes, I was lost. Yeah. Well, geometry did the same thing to me. I could <laughs> not do a proof. I could not do a proof. And everybody else in my family is looking at me like I was daft. And they said, we'll sit down with you. And I said, it doesn't matter what you say. None of it makes sense to me because I can make any of these things work. They said, no, you have to go with X, Y, and Z. And it's like, that doesn't make sense to me because why can't I do this one? And they said, because that doesn't make sense. It's like, but it does make sense. Because you
1: just can't. It's like,
0: wait a minute. Well, that's pretty much what I heard. So, okay, moving on. Yeah, That's what you've heard. Yeah. Project-based assessment.
1: Logic based assessment project. Oh, project based assessment.
0: Which you which you already brought up because project based yeah. assessment, the students are there. They can they can walk you through their project. There's a some there's a formative assessment as they're going through their project. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you're doing it properly, and then you have the form the summative assessment, and there should be some kind of qualifier with that where. They know exactly what it is that they need to have or what you are looking for. And we're going to get into that. There's also anonymous grading.
1: Anonymous grading.
0: Anonymous grading so that you don't know whose paper is which or you switch your you switch your kids and knock off the names and give those to another teacher while you do their grading. The same thing. That's an interesting one. But you don't see it. So it's blind grading. Um, Using portfolios so that the kids can. um, Collection of work. Yeah. So that they can, so that they can, uh, what's the word? Defend and walk you through their portfolio because
1: yeah, defend their work.
0: Yeah. And so there are certain things that you can do in order to, uh, minimize the bias when you're doing all of this. And, you know, and it's, I think it's just going with good practice And when I'm working with a student, and you've talked about this in previous episodes, where you work with a student and you know where that student stands and you know what that student is capable of, and you push them and they reach that pinnacle that they needed to hit. Because if you set the bar too low, then one, it's insulting to them, and two, they know and they're not really going to grow. So, and students really do try hard to reach wherever it is that you want them to reach because you've oh, yeah. built that you've built that relationship with them and you're also their cheerleader while they're doing it.
1: formative assessment.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so how do you design a bias-free assessment? Learning objectives, everything is aligned with your learning objectives. You ensure assessments truly measure the intended skills and knowledge. You don't just want irrelevant details and memorization. You want,
1: go ahead. No. Yeah. Right. I agree. Okay. You know what? Just memorization.
0: Diversify content and examples. So you want to have examples, uh, materials, and perspectives from various cultures, backgrounds, and experiences. So that everything is kind of immersed and put in there. Use multiple assessment formats. But if I'm testing you on, on, let's say, The Pearl by John Steinbeck. I don't care that you know that it takes place in La Paz. I don't care that you know all the names of everybody. You should know Kino and Juana and Coyotito, who's the baby. But those are the only real names that you have to deal with in the entire book. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask you questions about not specifics on the book, but I'm gonna ask you about general themes on the book because we've discussed those. And you bring your own perspective to that, and so I wanna know what you think about something. So that works, all right? You can pilot, test, and refine the assessments by every time that you use them you ask for feedback. What could have been better? How did you feel? Was it too hard? Was it too easy? Do you feel as though you were successful with it? What could have gone better? And what was like not relevant? Because if you're not asking, if you're not opening the lines of communication with the students then you're failing them, I think.
1: Oh, yeah, it's a pro, it's a process, definitely a process. A project mm-hmm. is not the end of anything.
0: Um, mitigate your writer bias. So, blind grading. We just talked about that. Mm-hmm. Rubrics. Use clear, detailed rubrics, and have student mm-hmm. input on those rubrics so that they're. Designed, and the students have input, so they feel as though they have ownership, but they also understand exactly what it is that you're asking, so it's not the waters don't get muddied,
1: yeah, keep it and, clear yeah you're you're trying to assess for certain things don't don't throw in extraneous
0: exactly, you also want radar training, so that means that if you're really going to go for unconscious bias or uh, you want to promote consistent uh, evaluation practices, that you have somebody there who can come in and if you have a question, you can call them. Maybe they're in your district. Maybe it's your instructional coach. but maybe somebody is there and you can say, okay, explain this to me. Now, if they go off and they say, well, here's the way that you should do it. No, don't do that because we're not going to get into that little parade. We're going to get into the parade of this is the content. This is what I need to be able to do. What can I do in order to serve every student properly? with the right cultural foundations and also use multiple raters. So you're if you have that rubric, them. yeah, if you can find some people to do it. So when you're doing project-based learning, invite administrators in and hand them the rubric and ask them to go through. They will be so kind. Ask students to go through and rate their fellow students and they can do it anonymously they will not be kind at all they will be the most contentious evil they are terrible just nasty um and so we need to teach them about grace um you want to give them positive affirmations you want to find all the positives that you can the work ons if you can sandwich those things that would be great um you want culturally responsive pedagogy. And you want to, if there are any stereotypes that pop up, then you want to address those directly and take care of those right away. You want to use technology um, and you want to have adaptive assessments. And sometimes that means that you're going to tailor things. So, if you have a student who is in special ed, and there are certain ways that they need to be able to be assessed because they 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 don't have they don't have access to the opportunities that everybody else has, mm. then you need to be able to adapt for those. And so, usually, working in tandem with their special ed coordinator does a lot. Um,
1: yeah, there are just, accommodations that are very specific.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. And so you Mm -hmm. want to constantly be trying to improve everything that you're doing and getting it there. Mm -hmm. So you want to have clearly defined criteria, diverse assessment methods, blind grading, multiple assessors, training for assessors, regular review of assessment practices, inclusive language. You don't want reductive language feedback for improvement randomize the order of submissions so if they can do multiple submissions which i always do with papers i am so evil too. with papers
1: i'm I, really evil I, with yeah.
0: papers yeah because i I, I, yeah. I just tell the students look You're going to write a paper for me. You have Grammarly, you have all kinds of materials at your disposal. If I'm reading through your paper and I come to five mistakes, I am drawing a line and I'm passing it back. And they said, what about comments? And I said, why should I comment on something that you didn't take time enough to pay attention to all the tools that are there for you? You know, So uh this all began too with students who told me that they didn't want grammar, that they knew too much, and so we weren't gonna do grammar because they said they already knew it all. So this was an evil way of explaining to them that they were well, really Oh, they did said it.
1: they knew grammar. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So good luck with that.
0: They were juggling six papers at one time. And Gosh. Well, they came back to me after they'd gone to college and they said that was the best. They had never had a harder class in high school where they had to learn so much so fast and it really made them think every time that they wrote a paper from then on. (gasps) And it helped them, it helped them in college. So I was pleased and they were too because they really did a really good job um but they would just submit their papers and i told them i said you better have your heading on your paper because i'll just decide which paper it is for you and they had to clip on the ones that were before it as well so um
1: oh yeah always the working drafts it was by the time they turned in that last paper they had like this much paper they were working with yeah. <laughs> about I so, yeah. might as
0: well have had a binder for each one um, right consider the contextual factors which is socioeconomic cultural um, language mm-hmm. personal circumstances and do
1: they have internet
0: yeah that would be personal sure, circumstances we sure
1: land we learned that during the pandemics oh we'll we just go to online did. learning it's like uh, I don't have internet
0: Well, here's an interesting Mm. thing about that. And and somebody said, you know, they looked at me and they said, "Um, did this person actually do their work? And I said, well, yeah, they did. And they said, can I see it? And I said, well, actually, no, because we had to do a lot of it verbally. Mm -hmm. And they said, what do you mean? And I said, well, when the pandemic hit, they were down in Mexico in a small village and the only internet they had was 30 minutes away and it was very weak internet and so the materials that i needed them to look at in the time that they were there it took more than that amount of time for them to download it right we're talking 1990s level modem wow. and they said they said Well, then how did they pass? And I said, well, that's very simple. I emailed them the materials and I put it in the message what I needed them to read. And they had the book because they'd taken the book with them. And I had the questions and I put that in an email. And so some of the supplemental materials, I wasn't able to get to them. So what Uh we did was we sat down and we talked about it. And I had to do an oral assessment about whether or not they read the book, whether or not they understood it, and then I told them I need you to write something and read it to me so that that can be your, that can be your text. But that was the best that I could do because that kid was not coming back in time for graduation, even because they he wasn't allowed to leave,
1: wasn't allowed, wasn't allowed to return. Right. Yeah, it's like everything, everything's closed down, <laughs> and
0: Man. they and somebody said well that's just tough and i said no i think we i think that we adapt in order to serve the circumstances of the students who are the unwilling um not victims but pawns in this whole thing
1: yeah it was rather yeah a lot so, of people were very upset over just being stuck in one place but there it was it was the way
0: it was so, right yeah. so i think that we need to give grace But I also think that we can have a very effective um, and very good learning environment as long as we approach our assessments and our grading processes with integrity. Right. And your students will let you know whether or not they feel as though they're being heard, listened and whether or not they feel as though you're being fair and Mm -hmm. so if they have a complaint then you can always listen to them
1: yep and if you're a good teacher your kids will have very good protests very well-founded and supported protests against your papers that's when you go oh hmm, i've had that happen oh yeah it's a good point touche
0: yeah (laughs) and there's nothing better than students finding out that teachers are willing to adapt Redact, and then try again.
1: Yeah, that's what it's about. It's about learning. That's what learning is.
0: So the inability to apologize to your students for making a mistake is perhaps one of the greatest weaknesses.
1: Yeah. Considering yourself above them is not a good thing.
0: Right. Because you want respect from them. You need to demonstrate that you are human and that you are fallible and that you are prone to making mistakes and that you're willing Mm -hmm. to rectify them because don't you expect them to fix their mistakes as well?
1: That's what we're trying to teach them.
0: So, And we're trying to teach them how to be human. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, next week we have the interdependence of career technical education Mm -hmm. vocational education Mm -hmm. and everything else that seems to bind together how they Mm -hmm. work and how they are how they work together and how they are different and so until that time though philip i'm gonna have to bid you adieu Aloha, and goodbye to everybody else Keep your feet on the ground and reach for the stars. Until then, (laughs) bye-bye.